you'll take your Bibles and turn to Micah. Micah is one of those small books in the Old Testament, and so if you need to look it up, or if you just need to scroll on your phones, it's between Jonah and Nahum, but find Micah chapter 5 as we're going to be looking at the prophecy of what it meant to come to uh, to Bethlehem. And again, it's Micah is a, they call him a, a prophet who was ministering in Judah. And as he was ministering in Judah, he's contemporaries to Hosea and Isaiah. And so to give you a historical background, they're on the verge of an Assyrian invasion through Sennacherib. And so what's going on is that they're coming in, uh, they're wanting to take over, they're just destroying the lands before him. They're being taunted, they're told, who, your king, your God is not going to take care of you, um, and we're just going to come in and destroy you. And so this is where the people of God find themselves in the midst of history. And it's here where um, Micah gives a prophecy of both warning for the people, but also a prophecy of peace. And so look with me at Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through the beginning of verse 5, and then we'll try to unpack it this morning. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, for siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem of Paphra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until that time, when she will who his labor has given birth, and then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to a a story that we have heard many times, Father, give us ears to hear just the little details that you brought together, how many years before the giving of your son in in that little town of Bethlehem, an obscure place to be placed on a manger, a rock, surrounded by animals. Lord, it's so easy to overlook that. Lord, it's easy to overlook it this Advent season, this Christmas season, to be caught up as we have so many of our people going to family and friends. They've, they've left already. Many others will be leaving this week. But Father, I pray that this coming Christmas morn, Lord, that we would have the right perspective Lord, that we would know that Christmas is for you. And Lord, that we would give you all glory and honor. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We've been our, doing our study in the Advent, and so we've looked at hope, and we've looked at, um, we've looked at love, we've looked at joy, and so today we look at peace. And as we begin to unpack it, we should be asking the question of what is peace? Because the dictionary um, defines peace in regards to worldly peace as freedom from disturbance or being in a place of tranquility. Now again, we kind of understand that because we look for things like inner peace. Because we have doubts, we have fear, we have anxiety, we have insecurities. And so a lot of times we look to medicine, we look to counseling, we look to things to fulfill those and take away our anxious thoughts, the things that are bugging our minds and bugging our hearts. There's also the sense where we have interpersonal 
peace that's needed because there's things that go on between us. There's struggles that happen between us. So we look to arbitrators. We look to lawyers. We look to people to settle our differences. Then there's also international peace that we look for. We look for things between conflicts and wars, between countries, between tribes. And so we look to politicians or to armies. We try to find these things to fix these worldly issues. But the reality is, is that even in the midst of all of those, and those are all true, we have uh, need of inner peace. We have need of interpersonal peace. We have need of international peace. But the greatest need is peace with God. That's the greatest need because that's our greatest problem. Again, it's not for us to be better. It's not for us to, to just simply get along. The greatest need is for us to have a Savior to save us from our sin. We need forgiveness. It's the thing that, again, um, I've been getting a little uh, upset lately in regards to listening to some of the radio. And even on uh, Z88, one of the things that came on recently was a chaplain. And he was talking on Z88 and he says, you know what Christmas is for? Christmas is for family. And I was just like... That's so wrong. And there are people who are listening and are hearing that and kind of going, oh yeah, well, I guess that is what it is about. It's not about the presence. It's about family. No, it's not about presence. It's not about family. It's about Jesus. And it's about having that Savior who comes forth for us. Because listen, it is uh, the greatest gift that we've been given is Christ. And Jesus comes for God. Look in your your Bibles in verse 2. It says, from you shall come forth for me. So God is sending us the gift of Jesus to us. So that we might come and give him glory and praise. So that we might receive not worldly peace, but shalom. And that's the difference. Shalom is a completeness. It's a wholeness. It's an over-encompassing. Everything about you is at peace. And so we need to look for Christ. Now, we're going to look at this passage a little bit because why was this prophecy given? And so we're going to look for the peace that comes in the incarnation because the first thing we see is that there's humiliation going on. Why? Because there's a toxic environment. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there's leaders who are here during this time of Micah's time who are despising the good and loving evil. The people are unfaithful. They don't trust God. They're not, they're not obeying God. So they find themselves in a time of trouble where again, the Assyrian army is sweeping through the country and they're being taunted by the generals of the people. And they're saying, Hey, all the gods that were before us and all these other towns and all these other places, we've destroyed them. So you think, and he's crying out in a, in a language that they would understand. And he's saying, do you think your God's going to take care of you? Look at our army. They actually get to a point, if you look at Second Kings in the story, they say, hey, we'll give you 20,000 horses. If you can bring 20,000 people out, we'll give you 20,000 horses. We'll try to make it even for you. But here's the reality. We're going to destroy you. So it's better for you to just give up now. And so the people of Israel are even saying, hey, please don't talk to us in our own language. You're, you're disheartening the people. Well, that's what he's supposed to be doing. 
And so this is the place that they find themselves. So this is a very toxic environment, and we understand that. Most of us have found ourselves in toxic environments. And it's not nice and it's unsettling sometimes to find out the truth about us, isn't it? I mean, what is the real truth about us? Where are our shortcomings? And so the reality is, as we find ourselves in places like the people of God, we need to understand that there are consequences to our decisions. And that's what's happening here in, the, in regards to the toxic environment. Because what happens is God, in this uh, prophecy of Micah, says, you're going to be in a place where your king can't even protect his own cheek. Now again, when you start talking about the consequences of armies that come in and take over, remember it's usually where they, they tie people up and they start to strike them, they start to hit them. And there's no way for him to defend himself. That's what God's saying. You're at a place in life where the only, even your king can't protect his own cheek. And not only that, your whole tribe is going to be delivered into the hands of your enemies. And so there's the consequences for our decisions. And we, like them, begin to complain to God. God, you did this. Why, why are you allowing these things to happen? Well, there's one person who really does get it, and it is the king. King Hezekiah does something, and he cries out for hope in God. He cries out. And as he cries out, what he does, he starts to make intercession. He starts to go to fasting and prayer and he begs God, please don't let your people be destroyed. And as he cries out, the prophet Micah gives a a sense of hope by giving this testimony. He says, from an unlikely place is going to come an unlikely savior. And he gives this in such a way that again, and I want you to, yes, David was born in Bethlehem, but David was the one who created the royal city in Jerusalem. So again, they would have been seeking out, where's someone going to come from Jerusalem? Where's someone going to come from the big cities? Think about it this way in modern terms. When we go to look for our next president, are we going to the community college? Are we looking for our people to come from Harvard, Yale, Brown, the, at least a big university? We wouldn't look to someone from a community college. That's unheard of. Well, that's what's happening with the people. They're saying, Bethlehem, that doesn't make sense. Why would someone come from there? Why would someone to come to save us, why would he come from there? And not only are they looking at the insignificance of it, they're looking at the insignificance, but yet God does the, the impossible with the insignificance. Remember? Remember this David that we talk about who was born in Bethlehem. Who's the one who defeats Goliath? It's David. And he does it in an unlikely way. And he doesn't do it, he doesn't do it by the standards of the, the army. He doesn't do it by the standards of the king's armor. He goes in the power of the Lord. And again, that's the way we need to think that, again, we don't need to try to fix everything in our own power. And that's a temptation for us, is it not? It's a temptation for us to step in and do things for God. What do, what do we really do when we ask God, God, increase our faith. Lord, you do it. And you do it in ways that you get the glory, not us. And so we look to an unlikely place of Bethlehem, but we also look to an unlikely Savior. Because see what he says, he says there's going to come one who's going to shepherd the people. The reality is we should expect a tyrant. 
Usually when militaries take over and a general steps in, it's usually a place of being a tyrant. They control because they have the power. They control the outcome. They control what happens. And yet Mike is saying from this unlikely place is going to come an unlikely savior who is going to rule over you, not as a tyrant, but as this gentle shepherd. And again, we looked at it last week by the shepherd who brings the the sheep into the fold at night and he surrounds them in protection. And then he stands watch and he's the door. He's the one that allows them to have perfect peace. They lay down in the field. Why? Because they don't worry. And that's what Mike is saying. We get a shepherd who loves us so much that he is the protection. And we should lie down in pasture with perfect peace because we don't have to worry. And so what we see is God comes and he says, from this little town is going to come this unlikely savior. He provides, listen, a miracle for those back in Micah's day. And I want you to see this from 2 Kings verses 19 through 37. I got to read from mine. And it says, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down, listen, 185,000 people in the camp of the Assyrians. And so when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping the house of Nishrach, his god, his sons, and I'm not going to say his son's name because I can't do it. His sons struck him down with a sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. You understand what's going on? So this great army that's been taunting the people of God lays siege to Jerusalem. And they have wiped out every other city. They're sitting out of Jerusalem. And the story goes through, if you go back to historical books, the story goes, this king goes and he has all his people line up their pillows. He gets to the wall. He looks over the walls and he said, why did I bring my whole army? This city is going to fall with only a portion. And so he allows his people to go to sleep at night because he doesn't even want to take the time to destroy it. He wants them to rest. But then the scripture is very clear. By the next morning, 185,000 people, 185,000 people lay dead before the city of Jerusalem. So Sennacherib picks up what's left of his army and he leaves. And again, the historians from the Jewish people said that he went into the house of his Lord, and he was ready to sacrifice his own children to his God for a victory, except his children got wind of the story and come. And as the scripture says, they killed their father. So in Sennacherib, this great king of the world, is no more. So God provides a miracle back there at the intercession of the people crying out to God with fasting and prayer. He listens to them and he answers them just the same way that he does in Matthew chapter 2. See, God brings the fulfillment of his promise. And he provides a miracle through a virgin birth. And that virgin birth is the fulfillment in the infant child. And so the question for us is, do we trust that? Do we trust that the Messiah has been born, that he is the son of God? Because listen, sin and Satan make their fiercest assault at this time. Herod wants to kill the children. And so there's an attack, and yet God brings Christ as our peace. 
And the question for us is if we don't keep looking at Jesus in the midst of all of Scripture, then we begin to lose our way. And so we see Jesus as this peace in the incarnation. But in the peace of his incarnation, he brings peace on earth. Peace on earth. And now the reality is, is we have to look at it from this perspective. We have peace now, but it's still not fulfilled. So there's still peace to come. So the first thing we have is peace now. And we have peace now with God. Because again, the reality is, is we're sinners who are in need and we're in trouble. We need a savior. So the reality is, is we need, as Neil even prayed, we need Jesus Christ's perfection given to us. Because if we don't have his perfection, there is no forgiveness. And so he comes as the pardoning uh, place. He gives himself as a sacrifice upon the cross that allows us to receive the pardon from God. As God looks upon you, he sees Jesus, not you. And he looks at us and he says, come into your, come into your peace because my son has paid the price. See, justice and mercy find its apex on the cross. And as God gave Jesus as, uh, as our gift, listen, God gives us as a gift to God. I mean, it's a gift to Jesus. Do you see that? What an incredible thing that we are the gifts to Jesus. And he gladly accepts us. So when we have it, we begin to respond. Once we have Christ in our hearts, we respond to worldly peace. Well, what does that mean? Well, it affects our inner peace. We learn to trust Jesus. We learn to trust God more. Now, again, think about this because Jesus says something very clearly to us. He says, you have to have the face like a little child. Now, why does he say that to us? Now, think back. When you were a kid, did you worry about bills? Did you worry about getting lost? Did you worry about... um going out in the boat and being thrown out and um, going out there and horribly drowning or anything like that? No, you just held on. It's us as parents who are the ones who start freaking out. It's gotten harder. I believe this. It's gotten harder to trust God the older I've gotten. Why? Because I try to step in the place of the Savior. Well, I got to take care of my kids. Jameson doesn't care. He doesn't, he doesn't care what kind of money I bring in or whatever. His expectation is to still get lots of presents. And it doesn't matter if I say to him, well, well Jameson, things were a little tight and your sister uh, ruined the whole uh, ceiling and, and we caved in and then my, I got flat tires and all that kind of stuff. So things are a little bit tight. He doesn't care. Where's my present? And in some ways, in a a weird, weird way, that's what God tells us to do. Why are you worrying? Why are you so overwhelmed? Do you not believe that he is the God who created the universe? And he's the one who knows the numbers of hair on your head. And he loves you greater than any earthly father could ever do. And he tells us, quit worrying. Trust me. And I'm going to provide for you. And I'm going to provide that inner peace. So quit, quit trying to be your own savior. And when we begin to understand just how much God loves us and how much he forgave us, then it becomes easier to forgive other people. And we begin to love one another. So those interpersonal struggles become a place. Listen, it's not about being right. 
It's about who can forgive. It's not about, well, you don't understand. I don't have to understand. Listen, there is no sin that Jesus doesn't forgive. No sin. And so he says, come. And as I have forgiven you, forgive others. And then that ultimately will affect world peace. Because we don't just love others who we like. We begin to love even our enemies. See, people like Corey Ten Boom, they, they're the people that I look to. So Corey Ten Boom is able to, to lay her hand upon the person who was the guard who was there while her sister died in the concentration camp, but comes to Jesus. And here, I mean, this is, she was abused by this man. And yet she understands as Christ has forgiven her, so she forgives even a cruel guard. So that's real, that's real love. That's real peace. And so it comes and it begins to affect the worldly peace, but we also look forward to the peace to come. See, we have a hopeful peace because God tells us very clearly in his word, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back soon. But he doesn't come as a lowly infant child. He comes as that great conquering king. And the reality for us is there's only a couple of reactions that we have to this Christ. And it's given to us in the Matthew passage. We could be hostile, just like Herod. Hey, we hear that there's a king born. What? I'm the king. No, we saw his star. You don't have anything. We came to worship him. Well, we got to take care of this. And some people don't come to Christ because they don't want to have Jesus as Lord of their life. I had a lot of people come and say the prayer. Yeah, I want Jesus as a savior. Well, wait a minute. He's got to affect how you spend your money. He affects, he affects how you love your brother and sister. He affects how you obey your parent. He affects how you love your neighbors. I don't want that Jesus. So we become hostile to him. Or we can be like the religious people and just become indifferent. Does Jesus even matter? Who cares? Think about this. When the wise men came, they saw the star in the sky. They come. Herod goes and calls his religious people. Hey, do we know where the Savior is going to be born? Yeah, we've known all along. It's in Bethlehem. Why hasn't anyone told me? Well, we've known it was Bethlehem for a long time. We don't really believe it. It doesn't affect us. Or do we respond in faith? Do you understand how crazy it would seem for those astrologers to come? To travel so far as they looked up in the sky because they saw a star, but they respond in faith. So that's the question. Are we crying out to God in hope, in the truths and promises that he's given to us, that one day he's going to bring back the conquering king, and as he brings back that conquering king, how do we respond? Do we respond with hostility, indifference, or faith? See, all of this is answered as God executes his judgment upon Jesus Christ so that his mercy can be showered upon us here and at the table. So may you truly have a Merry Christmas this year because you understand about the great hope, the love that was given, the joy that we receive, and the peace that comes in the child. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do before we come to the table. Take these cards and give them 
to two people on the left of you and two people on the right of you in your neighborhood, not in the church. Take them home. Give them away. Invite people you really don't know because I'm more years being a Christian than not now. So sometimes I begin to forget how great of a need I needed a Savior. And people invited me, the sinner, who people would have looked at and said, there's no way that God would ever love him. I needed the hope of Christmas. So go invite. Fill this place to overflowing. Not because we're something special at Northside. We're not. But here's where they get to hear the truth of the Christmas message. 